2: We're joined on the Restore the Floor podcast by the Associate General Manager of the Detroit Pistons, George David, who has been with this franchise in a few different ways, a few different capacities, different, different times of his life, and uh,
0: how are you? I'm great, Stony. I think you and I are on the same timeline, if I'm not mistaken. I think I came to Detroit your first year, right, if I'm not mistaken? I moved
2: here in 86.
0: No, no, no. I'm. I, I guess I should say with the Pistons when, when I came out.
2: Okay, so you
0: in '96. Nine, so I. So you got me beat by ten years. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I was, it was really wasn't on
2: radio till till '94. So before we get into talking about what's going on in, in Las Vegas, the sure. summer league, the trades, you have a fascinating story because I, it almost reminds me, although you're not head coach, like Lawrence Frank basically was like a towel boy and a video guy at indiana and the next thing you know he's coaching in the nba tell everybody where you came from and how you got to where you are right now
0: yeah it's funny you know lawrence and i were both managers at indiana and um so i i grew up in farmington michigan i i went to brother rice high school and um right before uh right before i was finished up my fourth year and I was I had come home to try and think about what I was going to do and if I was going to go to law school or whatever it might be the Pistons had a little summer league at the time and I was fortunate enough to get hired as the as the video coordinator for the Pistons that year um and was working with Doug Collins and kind of worked my way up um in a variety of ways and I think I've had almost every position you could have on the basketball side um, between that time and now from scout to director, of scouting director, of player personnel, assistant GM and, um, things just, uh, you know, I, I've been very fortunate to have only worked for one franchise. Uh, Eric Spolster was, came in the same year as I, we were both video coordinators in Miami and I joke with him every time I see him that, you know, we're, we're so fortunate that two of us have only worked for one franchise in this long of a period of time. Um, so no, I've been really fortunate.
1: That is absolutely amazing. So when you say you were a video coordinator, you were just recording practices and then giving the coaches whatever tape that they needed? Uh, You're going to laugh. So the
0: NBA decided that year that they were going to kind of create this video coordinator position. And a lot of the teams at that time asked the same question you just did. But what is it? Like the, the coaches just did the video. And the whole idea was to free the coaches up to do more things. And it's funny, if you look around that time period, 95, 96, the guys that I got hired as the video coordinator in Detroit, Eric got hired as the video coordinator in Miami. I think um, Mike Brown got hired as the video coordinator in Denver, Mike Budenholzer got hired as the video coordinator in San Antonio. They had all these guys that you see on, on the benches now and, and in front offices. So ma- Lawrence Lawrence Frank was a manager with uh, right. R- we crossed paths right at Indiana, and um, Lawrence had worked his way into the NBA too as a, as a basketball manager. So that time period was about kind of breaking up film, breaking down film for the coaches, um, editing the film for the coaches, showing the players the things that the coaches wanted them to see. And it was really just to take that burden off of the coaches because at that time, Stoney, you remember at that time, there was like three three coaches, period. On right, the bench. exactly. Yeah, now um, you got a team of them. Now- yeah now it's now it's a separate team of coaches
1: yeah all right so now i know like myself in radio i kept these things called mini discs from like way back when i was in school 20 years ago so do you have any of the vhs tapes like the first ones that you set oh how great are they like is there anything like special on those tapes or other than your i mean your own memories because 95 is that like grant hill and yeah
0: yeah, ninety five was like Grant Hill, Terry Mills, Lindsay Grant Hunter Long, Alan Houston, Joe Dumars. And- yeah, Alan. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, all all of those guys. And and you know, I had kind of we talk about how small the staffs are then as opposed to now. They needed more bodies to help. So one of the things that I did every day was I would rebound for Joe Dumars. Oh. <laughs> and um, Joe and I got to know each other well, and at that time I was trying to, he had asked me, so I told "What what do you do? And I told him, I'm, I'm the new video coordinator. <laughs> he said, well, what is what is that? What is that? What is that? What do you do? And I was explaining it to him, and we got to know each other well, and, and then obviously you guys know the story. Joe moved into the front office, and that was how I was able to transition from being a video guy to moving into the scouting Is is I had gotten to to know Joe pretty well through, um, my video and having just come from college, a lot of times we'd be playing against a guy that had just come from college and I would have a video and show him, Hey, this is Stefan Marbury, or this is Vince Carter. This is what these guys did. In college, and uh, that's how I got to know Joe, uh, and that's kind of how I was able to transition into the front office with him.
2: So we can't blame you for Darko because you were only doing college kids.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'll stay away from that one, but it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. It's funny. It's funny. Um, as I when I transition, this is how life is. I transition into the scouting side. And one of the first persons that I, somebody, a few people come to me who I'm very close with, and they're like, you know, one of the people you have to meet if you're going to try and be on the scouting side, and to know all these kids, the high school, because remember you could draft high school, right. high school, college kids. It's a guy. They said he's he's an assistant coach in college. His name is Troy Weaver. <laughs> and so I'm just getting into this college scouting. I don't know a lot about it. And so someone sets me up to go fly to Syracuse to meet Troy Weaver. And I meet with Troy and Troy says, you know, you're friends with a lot of people I'm friends with. I'll help you in whatever way you need. If you need to have questions about any of these college kids or the high school kids. And so we became really close friends. Troy comes into the league as a scout for Utah. And he and I would a lot of times be at the same games together. And I would pick his brain. We'd sit together and watch these games and, 25, 26 years later, 20 some years later, you know now I'm sitting here working with Troy and then so that's kind of how life goes sometimes it's it's a crazy story. All
2: right let's get before we get into the actual summer league you guys made some trans, transactions before we get uh, obviously the draft but uh, Joe Harris and Monty Mo- uh, Morris question about Joe Harris obviously he's a great shooter mm-hmm. one year contract. can he defend well enough? that he won't be a liability on that side of the floor. He's a great shooter. We all know that.
0: Yeah, you know what? I think one of the things you see in the NBA now is if you really pick apart every player, you can can find three or four liabilities with almost every player. The league has turned into a league of specialists where players can do one thing at such an elite level that – You kind of deal with whatever deficiencies they have based on how elite that one level is. And I think with Joe, there's two things that we're really happy about. One is to not only get somebody who's the shooter that Joe is, but also, and I know you guys have heard this to nausea from Troy uh, in the media, Mm -hmm. is him as a person and as a veteran. And one of the things that's really important with a team like ours that's as young as ours is the veterans that we put with the team and it's you can have you can have one wrong, and I put in like quotes wrong vet with with a young team, and it can cause a trickle down that can be a problem. So with Joe, we we're, we're so we're not just happy about the shooter that we have in Joe, but we're happy about. The veteran that we have with him and and that's those are the things that for us were were a big part of us um making that trade
1: now as a basketball fan i think this is very interesting to me at least because you're well aware of the internet and what gets spread around the internet are rumors so as soon as you guys acquire joe harris People instantly started talking about expiring contracts, being able to move them, and you have a couple other players that might have expiring contracts going into the year. But how do you, as as a general manager, look at the team and just try to tame like all of that talk before it ever gets into the locker room? Because I would always be curious to know, like, am I going to get yeah. traded from my job today to a different job <laughs> tomorrow? Like, I just I'm yeah. curious when when all of that is so in front of players' faces now. Is it just as a man, you go up to him and you 're like "Hey listen it 's a business, something could happen, but we want to keep you on this team or i just i 'm curious about that as a basketball fan
0: yeah, I think it's, I think one of the things that I think the fans would be surprised at is what you try and do is you try and be upfront with players, and I think that if you're adding a player because of the value of what you see that player being with your team or whether that be in in uh, uh, building your team on the basketball court, whether that be in building your locker room out with somebody who's, who's a, who's a solid person, whether that be in a skill that that person has, I'll give you the greatest example is last year we traded for Boyan McDonovich, and um, a lot of people said what you were saying, right? When we had first traded for him, Oh, well, he's on an expiring contract. And, and then all of a sudden, everybody saw that, you know, as he was doing really well, then the teams uh, signed him to uh, an extension um and i think that you always start with a clean slate with guys um meaning you i don't think you ever just do a deal where you do a deal to move somebody to another team you want to see what you have and see how that person fits and you'd be surprised you have some guys who maybe came to teams where the thought initially was you know he's on a one year deal and he's going to be there for a year and then all of a sudden Six years later, um, the player's still there. Um, and sometimes, so I think you have to look at it. In in our jobs, you 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 really have to look at these guys with an open mind and not only see how they fat fit with the team they were on, but how do they fit with your team? There's a lot of players that you guys can name off that maybe came from a situation to a team when you looked at it and you were like, wow, I don't know how that's going to work. And then with the new team, it's it's a different fit.
2: I want to ask you about uh, Beef Stew, the, the extension. I think we understand uh, with the salary cap going up, the money a little high, but not, not absolutely crazy. What the question about him is, especially if you play him with Duran, you really don't have two guys who are going to be really good outside shooters. And the way the NBA has changed, George, floor spacing and things like that, is Stewart as good as a, a guy he is and all the intangibles, is his outside shot good enough to have him get that extension in today's NBA?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, I I think that in today's NBA, there's a couple things. There's a lot of things in today's NBA that have changed since I talked to you about coming to the Pistons in 1996 or 95. I think that the the rule changes have been a big part of it, what you can do now and what you can't do in terms of guarding on the ball. The guys used to be able to put their hands on people, on, on their hips, literally. Um, the rule changes have changed the game a lot. And I think the shooting absolutely has changed the game a tremendous way. I was just talking to one of our coaches here yesterday about how you see a lot of players step out of bounds now. You never saw a lot of like, – right. you never saw the players in the 80s and 90s step out of bounds. You never saw Larry Bird and Reggie Miller step out of bounds. <laughs> and I think part of the reason is because in 2023, the players are looking – to make sure that their feet are behind that three-point line because the, your foot on the two-point line is considered a bad shot now. And so what happens is you end up seeing all these guys, you see guys step out of bounds about four or five times a game.
2: It's a great Whereas point. Whereas
0: 20 years ago, they weren't thinking about a bad two. If their foot was on the line it went in, they were like, oh, it was a two, it wasn't a three. They weren't thinking it was a bad shot. And so where I'm going with this is I do think that's changed – the regular seasons of, game, of, of the NBA from 1995 to 2023. I, I think that a lot of the same principles, though, that went into what it took to win a title in that generation has actually stayed a little bit more the same now than than the regular season, meaning to get to where your question was going, I think having – big guards and having a big front line, meaning a front line that where you have multiple rim protectors becomes and you guys watch all the games, you know how the value of that increases as you go deeper and deeper into the playoffs because you get to the you get to the finals or you get to the conference finals, you guys remember I know Stoney does. You remember the Eldon Campbell role. Everybody used yes. to make fun mm-hmm. of it when we were and everybody was like, okay, they're getting ready to play the Heat. Yeah, Eldon Campbell's going to need a couple games to get himself ready here for the next <laughs> couple games. And then all of a sudden it was like this valuable thing that we had because you had to have bigs in order to beat checked And I think now if you look at the Eastern Conference and you see the, the, the bigs that are on all these contending teams, I think that you're right. You're absolutely right about the value of shooting. Um, but I also think the value of having – bigs um, in the playoffs and to be able to advance in the playoffs is something that's one of the few things that maybe is a little bit more similar to the, the generations of 20 years ago in terms of it being needed. Sorry for such a long-winded answer, but um, I, you know, I, I think you guys can both relate to that. So, so
2: beef, beef Stew fits mm. that mold. Do you, you think his three, he took a few more threes this past year. Do you think it's going to get better yeah. or it is what it is?
0: I do. I think Beef Stew um, is one of the hardest working players uh, in not only with our team, but in the NBA. And I think that one of the things that we all do it. I mean, I think you guys do it in the media. We do it as teams fans do it. I think we all at times think that a player is who he is by a certain age. And I think that we don't necessarily think after two years or three years in the NBA where that player is going to get to. I mean, I think a perfect former Piston example is, You look at Chauncey Billups was traded five times before he comes to the Pistons. He comes to the Pistons on a very, you know, on a mid-level contract. And then all of a sudden at 26 and above becomes a perennial all-star and a finals MVP. So I I think sometimes, and I, I, I use Stu as a great example of someone who I think Stu, I think Stu's just starting in terms of showing what some of the things that he can do and his work ethic, his leadership ethic, and how he embodies um, what Troy, what Monty, what we want our team to be about with the Pistons is all about
1: that. Now, okay, so you entered the NBA around 95, 96, and that is, in my uh-huh. opinion, the golden era of the big man in the NBA. The David Robinsons, the Hakeem Olajuwans, the Shacks, the Alonzo Mornings, yeah. everybody that you had talked about. So what is your philosophy now? Because you're, you have a team right now that has basically a starting five of big men if you want to go out there <laughs> and do that. But okay. my question is, so Isaiah Stewart, he has the green light to go out there and shoot a three now. But somebody like a Jalen Duran, a James Wiseman, and Bagley. So these guys, I see them on on just, you know, reporter videos that are showing them shooting Mm -hmm. threes in practice and everything. How do you as a staff, as a philosophy, go to these young men and say, you can shoot a three in a game, but we really want you on the block. Like, how does that work?
0: Great question. Great question. I think part of it is to get a chance to see how these guys are. Passion, drive, and patience. with this coaching staff and with this group we have together. We have Cade Cunningham coming back to the team having been out for quite a while last year but I think, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you a couple, I continue to use the Piston examples only because of my background with the Pistons but you think about the examples I gave you with with, with Chauncey before he comes to Detroit. You think about Rip Hamilton in Washington. People forget the Rip Hamilton in Washington because it was like a different player when Rip Hamilton comes to Detroit and I think when you look at some of these guys and, and when you look at our, when a, when a player moves from a team to a different team, you want to give it a chance with that new team. And I think when a coach moves, in our case, you know, with Monty Williams coming to the Pistons, you want to kind of make sure that you look at everybody with an open mind instead of, well, we know what we're going to get with this guy because of the past. And I think that's very important that with, with a new team that's being put together with a new coach that we we have an open mind with that and and allow ourselves to see how these guys, um, how these guys gel with the new staff and with the, with the new environment. And we're excited about that. That's something that's um, with the ages of these players. That's one of the biggest differences you guys will notice from the 1995 to the 2023 era, the ages of these guys are so young. Um, and, And that's something that we have to make sure that we, keep in mind with all of these guys is is where they're at just strictly from an age standpoint.
2: All right. You you mentioned that that takes us to summer league uh, with yeah. Asar Thompson. Pretty much. I mean, I didn't get to see that much of him in the G league. I didn't watch G league elite games and uh, th- things like that, but he, mm-hmm. he, he has yeah, the elite and I haven't, what I, what I'm seeing from him is what we've heard about him. Great athlete, Shoots a high percentage, forty-five percent, twelve points. He's he runs the floor great, but his three-point shooting needs a, a a lot of work. Are you happy with what you've seen from him right now? Because he definitely looks the part.
1: Oh yeah,
0: yeah. We've been happy with both kids. We've been happy with both uh, with both Asar and and Marcus. I, I think that the um, the things that we've seen from them initially, and you think about it, I mean, they've played now. Uh, three summer league games in their career and it's it's normal i think in in 2023 uh since i'll keep using your guys analogy of going between the two decades in 2023 you know because of social media because of the the increase in awareness of these players there's a quicker judgment um that's been that becomes made after two to three summer league games in 1995 after two to three summer league games I don't even know if you guys knew who did what in the summer league no. in 1995. You were like, we'll just wait to see what happens in the regular right? season. But, but I think now it, it becomes a quicker analysis. It becomes a quicker rush to judgment. And to answer your question, we, we couldn't be happier with um, the, the persons that both of them have been that would, that they're demonstrating in terms of their character, in terms of fitting in as being a piston. Um, but also to see the the many different ways that they're impacting games I mean you guys have seen it um, there's there's multiple areas of the box scores that these guys are both impacting and that's that gives us um, a, a, a big smile on our face every morning but yeah we, we we're extremely happy and and, and feel great about um, the future of both of those two guys
1: now I, I kind of looked at like the first round of this years past draft as like a buddy cop movie Mm -hmm. and what i mean by that is when you got thompson a kid that did not go to college and then you got a kid Mm -hmm. in marcus sasser who literally did all you can do in college was there for four (laughs) years and like how cool is it to see that these two interact i mean you everybody's probably has seen the highlight by now the alley-oop to the reverse dunk and everything but to see something like that for kids that have practiced right a handful of times together playing in a handful of games but is it cool to see that these kids have a bond or how is that working with them
0: extremely cool i think that you know now Uh, in this generation when a player goes to school for four years, the first thing people say is, well, is he too old? Like, Mm -hmm. is he going to (laughs) be? And and then once you get a player who's played four years, you see the poise, you see the differences in, in their basketball maturity and being able to just handle different things. And that's what we've loved about Marcus. I think in Asar's case, Tony and I were talking about this, I think it was at Monty's, after Monty's press conference, and one of the big challenges for you guys from a media standpoint is it's trickier, like you guys just mentioned, when a player is taken who wasn't on CBS and ESPN every week, and you're, you're kind of just waiting to see yeah. who the player is. Um, but from our standpoint, I compare it a little bit, a little bit to the international scene, like when, when you had to go over and watch, say, a Giannis or when you had to go over and watch some of those players play and they weren't necessarily on the same set of rules and, and, and they're playing against 30 year old guys in Europe and you're trying to quantify all these different things um, that are not the case in college, but you still have to be able to hopefully recognize the talent, whether they're in Greece or whether they're at OTE or whether they're with the Ignite or whether they're in college. And, Frankly, that's that's part of the newer the new challenge that challenge that is that is there now in the drafts in 2023. So that, yeah, it's a great question.
2: The the camaraderie on the floor and also off the floor between mm-hmm. the, the rookies and the veterans, even though yeah. the veterans are not exactly old guys with Ivy and Duren and, and Wiseman playing, <laughs> right, right. and Cade and, and is in, and Beef Stewart there. How's that working out?
0: That's been great. It's been great. I think. Um, as you guys saw in some of the summer league games, the veterans being there in the stands, um, pulling for them and cheering for them. Um, you're right. I mean, our, our veterans now would have been young puppies on the 95, 96, 97 era. So it's a little bit of like a, a churning the tables a little bit on it. But um, it's one of the things, you guys heard Troy say this at the press conference for Monty where he, one of the things he told Monty was that he would put, our locker room up with any locker room in the league. And I know Monty mentioned at the press conference, he had, he had never really heard somebody say that about about a team. <laughs> and uh, I think that it goes to, you know, the, the camaraderie that we have with this group, um, with, the, with the younger players and the older players, is something that we believe is going to be a big part of um, the restoration that you hear us talk about a lot.
1: All right, so I'm also really curious about how this internal discussion happens. So the first game, okay. Ivy, Duran, Wiseman, they play in summer league, and then they don't play mm-hmm. after that going forward. So my question is, do you guys sit on your hands during that game, like, please don't let anything happen to these young men while this is going on? Like, how does that discussion happen? That that you want these yeah. kids to play and I understand that you want them to play to get used to each other but then a week later you're like I do not want these kids out there playing like how does that work <laughs> with you guys as as general managers to coaches that haven't seen them play to all of that You want the truth? Yes.
0: You just you just you want them to play and you 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 love the fact that they want to play first of all because you get a chance to see a glimpse of um, your new rookies playing with some guys that they're going to be playing against with next year. That that's the whole, that's the part of it that you love. On the other part that you talk about, you, we try and block that out and put it into an area of our mind that okay. doesn't even that you don't <laughs> think about because if you think too much about it, it's gonna it's gonna uh, occupy too much space in your mind. So the the truth is, you try and just focus on on hey, th- this is a great opportunity for us to see these guys. Um, have a, a game or two against uh, a game or two with the guys that they're going to play with next year and, and value that. The other part that you talked about, if you want to know the truth, we try and stay, try and clear our minds from even thinking about that.
2: Uh, uh, quickly, I want to ask you about a few guys in the summer league who are not on your team. Yeah. And like we said, you can't make, you know, rash judgments after two or three games. But I'm curious what you think so far of obviously Webanyama, Cam Whitmore, who was a popular guy here, people wanted the Pistons yeah. to get him, and Amani Bates.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think first of all, I have to be careful, as you guys know, I, mm-hmm. I can't really talk too much about yeah. other teams' players. That's true, but 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 um, so I, I'm I'm not trying to dodge your question, but I'm also making sure that I don't get all of us. Well, you guys can't get in trouble; I can get in trouble. So I have to make sure that I don't get Were in trouble. Were you impressed by
1: the very tall French kid that plays for the Spurs? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I would, <laughs> I would just, I would just say that I'm think that this draft class, especially at the top of this draft class, is going to end up being very impressive when the dust settles. That's as that's as far as I can go for you guys. All right, I,
1: I don't mind that. No, okay, <laughs> but can you can you answer this? Okay, so you're watching a summer league team, and obviously you're watching the yeah. guys on your team. You know who's on your team. Yeah. You know what they're bringing, essentially. How much are you watching the other team to say, maybe I could use that guy, that guy, that guy down the road or when the season no, starts? No,
0: a, it's a great question. I, I think that, you know... You're
1: not getting I arrested, first, are
0: you? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm okay. just standing outside here. Um, I think that when a player gets drafted by any team, like we spend so many hours, guys, on going back and forth on different ideas and players and our thoughts on these players when you finally see them in summer league play like those first two or three games and i'm talking about players on other teams you there's absolutely a feeling to yourself on yep that's what i thought it was going to be or wow I, i i i'm really surprised like i didn't see this coming and and i think we all do that you can have the best experts in the world um and and we all do that with all of the players. I think there's like a, a two or three game thing where you look at them and they either were what you thought they would be or, or they're not. And I think it goes that way with the fans, with you guys, with, yes. and with the media as well. Like some of those names that you guys mentioned, I think that you guys look watch those first couple summer league games and you say to yourself, OK, yeah. Or, or you say to yourself, well, I don't know. And, and I think that that's. That goes with everyone, not just the team personnel. I think it goes with the media, I think it goes with the fans, I think it goes with everyone.
2: Uh final couple of things. Uh going forward, would it be fair to say that without mentioning names, can you mm-hmm. go into the season with those four big guys? Is that too many guys at that size to play big? And the other person everybody was always asking about is is Killian. Yeah,
0: no, I I'm gonna go back to what I said before is one of the things that I know Monty and Troy really want to do is get a look at these guys together with this team, with this coach. And I think that that's a really important um, layer to where we go next. And I think one of the worst things you can do is to kind of at this point on what where are we July 12th is the, or July 13th is to sit here and, try to predetermine that. So I'm not trying to dodge the right. question. I'm actually trying to tell you that's a, that's honestly how, how we try to look at it um you know going into the season is, is to look at it with a clean slate and, and try and see where each guy how each guy is um you know with Monty and with his staff.
1: I'm sure everybody that wears red, white and blue um in Detroit is thinking the same thing I am but for the fans uh-huh. How healthy is Cade Cunningham right now going into the season? I know that that is the cog that's going to make everything go, but is he going to be 100% ready to go preseason?
0: Yeah. Cade's Kate's really, Kate's coming along exactly where the doctors expect him to be at this point. We've been really, really pleased with his progress and, and where he's been in terms of meeting all the markers that he's needed to meet. So as as of right now, knock on wood everything is going you know as we had anticipated it would be going i know he's been it's been really exciting for him to see the growth in his you know his rehab in terms of what he's been able to do from just being able to stand still shoot to then moving shooting off the move to then being able to do some one on one and two on two and three on three and i think the fact that one of the things that he he chose to do which i think is a re, what has turned out to be one of the best decisions he could have ever made is to be able to have it done when he did, to give him this long runway to get himself back in time, you know, to be to be ready for this next upcoming season. So, no, he, everything is on track with Cade, and, and we're really excited about where he's at.
2: All right, last thing, full circle. We started you talking about, you know, you started out uh, at Indiana. Give me your favorite mm-hmm. or uh, night story that would make us maybe laugh or something that even we didn't the even favorite, realize. Favorite
0: night story? Yeah. I'll tell you, um, let me... Give me two seconds and let me think here. My um, favorite night story is probably we had lost to Butler the, the very first game of the 90, I think it was the 94 season, up at Butler. Again, we were ranked. We should have won the game. And after the game, we had a week off before we prepared for Kentucky. And we all came into the building the next day, and there were no coaches in the building. And we were told that night Coach Knight had said that – We were so bad in that loss that we didn't deserve to have coaches this week for the Kentucky game. (laughs) So we were all waiting to see what was going to happen. Surely there are going to be coaches coming up in the next Tuesday, Wednesday practice. Well, Tuesday there's no coaches. By Wednesday, the players are saying to the managers, like, what should we do? So as a manager, myself and a couple others, we went back, called the assistant coaches, and they said, you guys are going to need to figure something out because – Coach Knight isn't having us coach the team this week. So we start putting these drills together, and the players put their own drills together, and we watch film together. And <laughs> I imagine this now, in 2023. And um, we get to Friday. The game's at the Hoosier Dome. We bus up to the game, and there's no Coach Knight. And we get to the game, and finally he comes into the locker room, and he basically says, I hope you put a good game plan together because we really need to win this game against Kentucky. And we end up demolishing Kentucky in that game. I don't remember the final score. Damon Bailey had an incredible game in that game. But I can just remember. It was 96 to
1: 84, just to let you know the score (laughs) of the game. There you go. 96 to 84,
0: yep. The backstory to that score on that game is that (laughs) the players basically coached themselves that entire week. Uh, and prep themselves to get ready for that game. And after that, everything was back to normal. But that's probably one of my the ones that I can remember the most.
2: Well, George, uh, we thank you for your time. I know we went a little longer than we uh, we promised, but uh, we appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of Las Vegas. Hopefully, maybe, maybe they can bring home a summer league championship. And you know, those, those rings. rings, they got rings that, too. That, that, That's right. And uh, stay out of the heat, and uh, we'll see you when you get back. Sounds good.
0: Great talking to you guys.
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks, George. That's George David, Associate General Manager of the Detroit Pistons, joining us on another edition of Restore the Floor.